March 18, 1990, the most audacious art heist of all time took place at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Check out season one of Empty Frames for a 12-episode dive into the Gardner heist. This season, we will be exploring other art crimes and significant moments in the art world before returning to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. This is Empty Frames. Welcome back to Empty Frames. I'm Tim, alone here today in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown, but I am being joined by phone with Lance Reinstern. How are you, Lance? <laughs> What's going on? How you doing? Sorry I couldn't be there, but I am, uh, I am out jet-setting. I am following up on hot leads, kind of. All right, cool. Well, we'll have to hear about it later, and don't worry about it. It's just the intro. Yes, exactly. It's, um <laughs> I am I am there in spirit, and uh, I am there during this uh, great interview that we have. Yeah, it really is a great interview with Asia Romano, reporter for Vox. She's actually a culture reporter, so we met her at CrimeCon 2017 in Indianapolis when she interviewed us about the phenomenon surrounding Maura Murray's disappearance and everything that's happened online uh, with our podcast, Missing Maura Murray. Um, in an article that actually never got released. I don't think she ever wrote it. So, But we circled back uh, with Asia when we saw this stunt that Banksy pulled at Sotheby's in London where he shredded his own painting that had just been sold for $1.4 million. She had written an article about Banksy when he shredded the painting. And it was uh, us researching the, uh, the significant moments in art history because we wanted to do this bridge season that had to do with uh, heists as well as significant moments in art history. And, and this Banksy prank, this Banksy stunt that he pulled was one of the, I think, one of the biggest moments uh, in our lifetime. And it was just by chance that Aja wrote one of the best articles on it for Box. And yeah, when we saw her name, we were just like, this is, this is a pretty cool coincidence because we had met her before. And she really had a lot to say, not only about the shredding itself, but we got into the whole mind space of what is even considered art in the first place. Yeah, it really turns into kind of a, a thought-provoking conversation about art and value and why people value certain things a certain way and what is art. Yeah, and, it, and we really talked ourselves in circles. My, my brain is still spinning. I know. Listening to this again makes my brain spin because I can't put my finger on why it is a significant moment in the first place, but you know that it is. You have someone as powerful in the art world and super underground like Banksy and when he does something like this it can be interpreted a thousand different ways but ultimately it's just another way of creating art yeah and I think it's clear that we all learned something with this Banksy stunt but I'm just not so sure what it is that we learned exactly <laughs> exactly right right <laughs> and I think the same is true for this episode because it, like I said it's kind of a compelling topic and we really really kind of talk ourselves into the rabbit hole and out the other side it's uh, it's kind of really fun I'm glad Asia took this trip with us so we really appreciate it and uh, I just wanted to note that Asia is in New York City when recording this so you can hear some sounds of the city some sirens occasionally and things like that so this is Banksy's video from his Instagram account, Instagram.com slash Banksy. And he later posted a director's cut to his website, Banksy.co.uk. But let's go over his first Instagram video, and I'll kind of narrate as we go. It says, a few years ago, I secretly built a shredder into a painting. And it shows him installing the shredder into the frame of the painting. It says, in case it was ever put up for auction. And now here we are at Sotheby's okay. and the auctioneer. Go with Palou, ladies and gentlemen, standing in the back of the room. I'm going to start getting here 100, 150, 200,000. I Painting is sold. The alarm goes off and the painting is going down into its frame, into its shredder. It is shredded about halfway. 
people remove the painting from the wall. Utter chaos ensues. Now that video is pretty amazing, and you can tell when you watch it that he, Banksy, had several people in the auction house uh, shooting video because there's many different angles, and he must have been sent these files. I assume there's more than one person. Had to have been more than one person. But the, uh, the auctioneer's face from the director's cut that Banksy released a few days later, and they do a close-up of the auctioneer's face. And it's if, amazing. And if you thought that the auction house was in on it, when you watch the director's cut video, you'll see his face, and you'll know instantly that they were not involved in it. He kind of shrugs and, go, and mutters, okay. He shows disappointment, and then he sighs. And <laughs> it's just, okay, let's move on. And it's just unbelievable. He knows, and there's so many emotions that go through his face in that one moment. I think he ultimately knows, okay, this was a moment at the end of yes. the Yeah. Yes, and I'm sure he's even wondering how it's going to play out that he was the auctioneer during this moment. You know, was it going through his head when this happened that he was now a part of history and he just didn't know how to take it? Because his reaction is is pretty amazing. Just the... The, the shaking, just like bewilderment, just bewilderment. <laughs> and finally, like he just gives in. It really makes me laugh. It's, it's a lot yeah. of fun. And uh, so Alex Branzik, Sotheby's head of contemporary art, said that Banksy didn't destroy an artwork in the auction. He created one. Following his surprise intervention on the night, we are pleased to confirm the sale of the artist's newly entitled Love is in the Bin, the first artwork in history to have been created live during an auction. I love how Sotheby's leaned into this. They couldn't do anything else, so they just went with it full force. And uh, so they renamed the painting. It's now called Love is in the Bin. Right, because the, the alternative to that is to say that they were just duped. So. Right. They gotta, they gotta make sure that they are on top of their PR, and maybe it was a little bit of a spin, but it's true. I mean, it is, it is actual, uh, a new actual piece of art that's out there now, and it was done right in front of people's eyes, and it was destructive. But this is what we get into with with uh, with Aja is that it's, it was destructive, but is it really destroying or? ultimately created something. <laughs> yeah, and Branzik goes on to say, Banksy has cleverly nestled himself in the pages of art history, which I love. And uh, there is a little bit of information here about the buyer. She, she apparently is a female European collector and has been a long-standing client of Sotheby's. And she proceeded with the deal, and she was quoted as saying, when the hammer came down last week and the work was shredded, I was at first shocked, but gradually I began to realize that I would end up with my own piece of art history. I wonder how long it took her before that, like, how long was that gradually? <laughs> you know, did, do you think that that was within, within a couple minutes or did it sink in over a few days? I don't know, but I love that Either she's, way, yeah. she's, got a, she's got something that's historic. And I love that she's female, just like Isabella Stewart Gardner. There you go. She would have given her full approval on this. Absolutely. Follow us on Twitter at empty underscore frames. And we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Thank you very much. Welcome to Empty Frames. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios here in Wormtown. We have a very special guest on the line. It's Asia Romano from Vox. How are you, Asia? Great. Hi, guys. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. I first want to know what it's like working for Vox, because that just feels like a dream job. <laughs> it's... um. It can be really intense. Uh, I think because I'm not in the political uh, pod, I I don't have to deal with the constant, um, you know, destruction of our democracy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, so I I have a lot of awe and respect for for those guys. Uh, but I'm the in I'm a culture writer, so my job is a little more. I have to deal with the destruction of democracy from a distance through a lens of pop culture. So <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Okay. That's a great segue into what we're talking about. Is if, if we're uh, if we're looking at the word destruction, yeah, for sure, for oh, sure, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about Banksy today, and uh, 
it, this came to our attention as a topic to talk about here on Empty Frames, which is a true crime show. Uh, but it came to our attention because of the shredding of his own painting that he did right after its sale uh, about a month ago. Yes. <laughs> so that can, was pretty amazing. Yeah. Can, can you tell us a little bit about this? Sure. So uh, Banksy had been selling a print of a, a mural, that a famous mural that he had done in, I think, 2002 called Balloon Girl. And he was selling it through uh, Sotheby's, which is the famous au- auction house. And um, basically, it, <laughs> when after the painting was sold, like the moment that the, that the auction hammer went down, basically, um, the folks in the room who were attending the auction uh, started to hear a loud beeping. And it was an alarm that had somehow been triggered either um, by someone in the room or by something that we were not sure if the auction house was somehow in on it or what happened. But somehow the this internal alarm that was inside the painting frame began to to sound. And while all the onlook, onlookers were watching this painting, um, the frame turned into a shredder and <laughs> the painting canvas began to go through the shredder. And so, and this was captured on video because obviously Banksy knew this was going to happen. So there was somebody in the audience capturing it on film and the audience just was like staring in horror while this painting became shredded and it stuck halfway through. So, um, so the whole painting wasn't destroyed, which is really interesting because no one knows whether that was an intentional thing, like whether the, the, the shredder actually was supposed to stop halfway through or whether it got jammed or something. Um, but the, the thing is that the fact that it didn't completely get destroyed means the painting is still technically a work of art. And that now um, that painting, which had already gone for uh, a record high, I think, I think it sold for $1.4 million, which was uh, a record for the, for Banksy, for Banksy um, works of art at sale. And so the fact that this, that this painting now has all of this performance attached to it probably has just com- like com- significantly increased the value of of what of what it started out being so it went from 1.4 million to 1.4 million plus whatever the new value is from having been half shredded and, and been the centerpiece of this major performance art so the whole thing obviously is a commentary on consumerism and commercialism and and art's role in capitalism and the the value that we place on art and so forth. So and that that's classic Banksy. If you know anything about Banksy at all, you know that that is that's basically what he's made his career on. So you said that it sold for one point four million dollars. It sold literally moment. That is the that is the price that it sold at moments before it was shredded, right? Yes, yes. Like it had literally just been sold. And so he built this shredder himself into the frame. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. There was a video that he released shortly after. So there was a video of the actual shredding, the moment that the painting got shredded. And then when that video went viral, uh, he very, very briefly released like a 30 second video uh, showing himself or somebody dressed in a a hoodie like Banksy always wears. um, Basically having carefully installed this the shredder inside the, the frame of the painting years ago. So this was a prank that had been obviously very, very carefully prepared and had been had been years in the making. So years ago, oh, I didn't I didn't realize that that this had been yeah, in the... I, a year ago or two years ago, whenever he first made the paint the frame for the painting. So yeah, it was intense. <laughs> so you wrote the article for Vox, and it is entitled "Banksy's Shredded Sotheby's Art." was a rebuke of empty consumerism from a master. And you said that he was, he's been trolling the art world long before he shredded his own painting. So we see the shredded painting and we see the moment where millionaires are just watching this thing go through the shredder and then they're scrambling to take it off the wall and stop it from happening. What has he done previously to that where he's been trolling the art world? Well, Basically, the entire arc of his career has been about calling attention to the means and um, sort of the, I guess, the transparency um, by which the art world bestows value upon works of art and dismisses other works of art, if that makes sense. 
Um, he's also very, very into uh, social commentary. Um, so a lot of times his art will directly interact with various types of, of social issues. Um, like, for example, uh, he did an entire work that was about calling attention to surveillance culture in Britain, um, while at the same time sort of thumbing his nose to the idea of, of surveillance culture ever being able to to properly surveil people like Banksy, who sort of are ninjas who can go in and work under cover of darkness and so forth. Um, so he does a lot of things like that that are simultaneously calling attention to artifice in art and in society and in culture and using the, the using that artifice itself to make his own art in a very self-conscious way, if that makes sense. So uh, one of the most famous things that he's done that, that has sort of done that is the documentary Exit Through the Gift Shop, which is basically a documentary that he made about another artist. <laughs> and um, the other artist was uh, Terry Guta, um, who basically was a street artist like Banksy, but a street artist of very dubious caliber, you might say, because most of what he had done as a street art artist involved recycling um, and basically just redistributing or memeing, if you will, uh, pre-existing works of art and pre-existing um, examples of media. Um, and so basically Terry Guta had a relationship with Banksy that sort of allowed Terry to build his career. Um, and Banksy sort of bankrolled him, if you will. But also you get the sense through this documentary that Banksy is also trolling him by allowing his, his lack of talent to be essentially capitalized and commodified and, and commercialized in a way that not only makes a fool of, of, Terry himself, uh, but makes a fool of all the people who are coming to this very prominent, um, you know, high profile gallery, uh, gallery showing of Terry's works, because they're all viewing this as though it's quote unquote, real art, if that makes sense. And so the whole, um, the whole process by which this documentary, um, it plays out, sort of makes you aware of the complete absurdity that goes into, uh, not only like producing and mass producing and, and, and recycling um, the kinds of media that become modern art, um, but also <laughs> the absurdity by which that art is then valued. So um, you have artists like Richard Prince and Jeff Koons uh, and Damien Hirst who have become massive millionaires many times over for basically just reproducing um, detritus of pop culture, <laughs> you know, and that's, become a mainstream, uh, a very, a very, um, I don't want to say common, but it, it's not infrequent to encounter that type of quote unquote art in modern art that is just, um, like, I think it's, is it Jeff Koons who does the balloon art where he's just like, like he's selling like, like balloon animals for millions of dollars. Yeah. And obviously Damon Hurst is most famous for, for, uh, a piece of art that is literally just a, a shark in formaldehyde. So Banksy is always trying to sort of draw your attention to the question of what actually is art? Is this art? What makes it art? And is it worth spending millions of dollars on? And if it is, who makes that decision? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really fascinating topic. And uh, it's kind of clear that Banksy has a, a sense of humor about this whole world of art and, and the world of trolling. And it's something that he seems to really enjoy. And I just, when I saw the video of what he did to uh, his uh, girl with the balloon painting, I just pictured him just smiling and just really enjoying, oh, sure. just <laughs> really enjoying the moment. There's also a sense where you feel like he, because he's very committed to street art as an expression of, of, I think, a reaction to consumerism and a reaction to capitalism. Um, one of his more famous recent stunts involved uh, setting up an art stand in Central Park um, and selling, basically selling Banksy, like original Banksy prints to passersby. Um, so if you were, if you happened to be in Central Park that day, I think it was in 2013, um, you could have, you you might have walked by Banksy's art gallery at, or his art um, stand that he had set up. And it was basically just, he looked like any other street vendor or the people who were there selling his art on his behalf uh, were, were, could have been any other street vendors, you know? Um, and so 
the whole practice of, of doing that was to raise the question, you know, is Banksy just another street artist? Is this all his art is worth? Um, at what point did that, did that art that you could buy on the street for $30 or $60 go from being a $60 painting to be a painting that was worth several thousand dollars because it was recognized as a Banksy print, you know? Wow. Yeah. I love it. It's so interesting. Um, you mentioned that there were people there selling his art and it likely wasn't him. Um, right. Would you, do we know who he is? Do we know what he looks like? We we do have a very, very good idea who he is. There's There have been obviously numerous attempts to identify him. Uh, I think for a long time, uh, one of the, the members of Manic Street Preachers was thought to be Banksy. <laughs> but he has been, obviously, it's been... The, I guess you you could say there's been a conscious uh, effort to to make sure that his identity remains sort of under the radar and not very well known. But people who have studied and researched the sort of the the trajectory and the path of his art pranks and so forth, and and the if you map out the places where his art has popped up over the years, um, science I think has actually mapped that out to the the specific life trajectory of a specific uh, street artist. <laughs> and they've been able to go, okay, this guy was here in 2008 or whatever doing this painting. So it's gotta be him, you know? Um, so I don't know if you want me to actually uh, essentially say the, his name, but, but I, I feel sort of like I should be protecting it like everybody else. So, okay, but yeah. you can, you can Google it and it's yeah. out there. So. Okay. So it's not the guy from the gorillas. No, it's not the guy from the gorillas. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like his image that, that's out there and his message that's out there is, is very carefully constructed. And I'm just wondering how one goes about doing that. And where did he get his start? And do you know the first instance where someone was looking at something that was on a wall and it was associated with his name? And then... How does how does that person create such a such a movement? Well, I don't think that he I think you can't really say that Banksy himself is a movement. I think that if you look at sort of the history of street art um, and specifically graffiti art in, in, in the UK, I mean, there were a lot of different uh, street artists back in the late 80s and 90s who were sort of coming up together and attempting to to sort of subvert. Um, the artistic establishment together by using street art and by using performance art and so forth. So I don't necessarily know that Banksy himself was, was an outlier. I think especially, you know, before he, before he was really identified and singled out as Banksy, he was, he saw himself as a part of this movement and saw himself as, as, you know, one of many street artists who were doing that work. And I think he still does sort of see himself that way, if that makes sense. Um, but the fact is that he's just really good. He's he's much better at everybody else seem, than everybody else seems to be at being able to get in, get out, and and do what he does quickly. And I think part of the key to that is that he uses stenciling, which is I think what he does is he'll have like a stenciled version of the art that he wants to to put on the wall. And he developed this because he needed a way to get in and get out quickly. So if he has that stenciling prepared, then he could just spray paint over it and then it's on the wall and he's done. So it only takes like a couple of seconds as opposed to, you know, the much, much longer amount of time it would take to actually painstakingly letter everything, letter every single letter on the wall by hand. Right. So that's kind of part of his genius is being in and out real quick without being spotted or taken photos of or, or things like that. Yes. And, and that also makes his art... Um, very distinguishable. You mm -hmm. it, you can always just sort of, I mean, not always, but it's really easy to look at uh, a Banksy, a work of Banksy art and go, oh, that looks like Banksy. Yeah. You know? And more, it's more mysterious too, that it's like, oh, this, this thing popped up in the middle of the night. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think it's pretty cool. I actually, uh, I, I was in Park City and, and saw one, one that, uh, that he made in Park City, Utah a few years ago. And I thought that was really cool because it was all of a sudden, oh my God, there's a crowd around this wall and Bank Banksy must be here and he just painted that last night or he yeah. just did that last night. And it was like, oh, well, that's 
I, it was just a weird feeling. Uh, you know, you didn't know what to do with that. Do you think that he was yeah. there in the crowd looking? No idea. I mean, there, there was a, people around it for the rest of the week. Yeah. You know? Of course. And I, I think that early on when he would graffiti, when he would, when he would do street art, a lot of the street art um, became covered up or became, um, would be painted over by, by owners of the buildings who didn't understand the value um, or in some cases would be, uh, would be graffitied over by other street artists who were, who were, who were angry at Banksy for whatever reason. Um, but there's been a concerted effort in recent years to make sure that all of the art that he puts up gets, um, gets protected and encased so that it can't be, um, be damaged. But a lot of the early Banksy murals and so forth have been damaged or have been, um, vandalized in some way. So I think that, that, that sort of makes lens or, or heightens the intensity of the experience, you know, because this is something that could disappear at any moment. It's appeared out of nowhere and it could disappear at any moment. Right. It's not something that's behind the, uh, the, the, the invisible alarm of a museum. Right. Right. And I think that he wants it that way. Obviously when he's trying to blow up his paintings from inside the house, there's a huge amount of, of, you know, kind of like a, a Thomas Crown affair vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we talked recently on an episode here at Empty Frames about art forgery and art forgers and kind of like what what's the difference between the original and then the forger who can recreate the original and why is the original that the uh, that that artist painted worth something where the forgery which is indistinguishable not worth as much and so I th- I think that kind of plays into this conversation a little bit but I think it's funny that Banksy's uh, market has accelerated following this this stunt. You mean um, the market where his um, his works are conceived as being even more valuable? Yes. I think that that's, you know, part of his design in a sense because the whole the whole reason this works is because he counts on the art establishment to do what it does, right? He counts on the art establishment to to go crazy over the fact that he just shredded his own painting. Um, and to inflate and to inflate the value of his art accordingly, right? Like it's it's strange because he profits from this this mechanism, um, but he's also completely skewering it and he's making fun of it. So I, it, the question is, which came first? Did he decide to, to to did he start out as an outsider artist deciding to make fun of this mechanism and then the mechanism grabbed hold of him and he just rolled with it, or? Is he saying, okay, well, you're going to make fun of me or you're going to to elevate and inflate the value of my art no matter what. I'm now the successful artist, but I'm not going to go down without a fight. I'm going to make sure that everything that you pay for is also trolling you. Right. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I like how you put it in your article that he's kind of critiquing the commodification of art. And I think that's... Absolutely. Yeah, you kind of nailed it there. And what do you make of the senior director of Sotheby's, Alec... Alex Branzik saying that uh, they got Banksied. I think that it's a very savvy statement on the art director's part because you, <laughs> I, whether or not Sotheby's was in on it, they clearly know what it means to 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 sell a Banksy painting and then to have uh, a Banksy painting become turned into a performance to a performance art event on the spot. Um, at their auction house. Like that was a big deal for them. I mean, this, this incident was trending worldwide on Twitter for like the entire night. (laughs) I mean, that is some serious publicity that you can't pay for. Right. Um, But he's also calling out the fact that Banksy is a brand, which is sort of the anti, I mean, Banksy himself is very anti-establishment. He's very, he's deliberately set himself up against um, the kinds of, of artists like Damien Hirst, like Jeff Koons, et cetera, who are quote unquote branded where um, you're paying as much for the fact that the art has Jeff Koons name on it, or the art has Damien Hirst's name on it as you are for the art itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but we clearly are um, into Banksy because it's Banksy, you know, there's a mystique around that name. There's a definite um, set of cultural assumptions that go into hearing that, that a Banksy painting has crept up on your corner, you know, like, like, like you said, it was a really strange experience. Um, just to know that Banksy had been in your neighborhood and and had suddenly created this art overnight, you know? So I think that 
A, the Sotheby's director is clearly aware of that. And B, Banksy himself is obviously always drawing attention to the artifice behind valuing the the painter over the painting and valuing the art over the artist over the art. Um, and when what you said about the forgery connection, I think is really interesting because um, when we think about forgering, forgery, when we think about forging um, and forgeries, we're mostly thinking about forging works of art that date back, I would say, pre-mid-20th century, mainly, you know, 19th century and earlier, right? Um, because as you get into modern art, um, the impact of mass production and commercialization meant that modern art itself has become in many ways mass produced and commercialized and obviously has been has been very focused on being this very self-aware, easily replicated, easily marketed type of of art that can be easily distributed and can be easily sold. And, you know, obviously this is a print of an original mural, right? It's not even the original painting. It's a print, you know? So yeah. this idea that, that images were made to be duplicated and, and repurposed and uh, remixed and transformed and, um, and, made new again through uh, the tenets of fair use and so forth has all been a huge, huge part of modern art and modern meme culture and modern remix culture. Um, so you can't really, you, you can't really forge a Jeff Koons <laughs> uh, work of art, right? Because right. he's just making balloon animals, right? How do you <laughs> forge that? You know? Yeah. Um, and you, you can't really forge, uh, like, in fact, um, Damien Hirst's most, the, the shark sculpture, which is like, I think his most famous work, um, it's if you don't know what I'm talking about, he um, has this giant uh, shark sculpture, um, and I don't know I don't know where the where it's being shown. I think it's probably in a private gallery somewhere. But it's called the I think the physical improbability of death in the mind of someone living, and it's like this ten foot tiger shark in from formaldehyde, and that's it. That's the sculpture. It's just a shark in formaldehyde, huh. um, and it's really impressive. But it's literally just a shark, <laughs> and, and apparently. Um, over time, the shark, um, I think this this painting, or sorry, the sculpture appeared in the 80s. And over time, the shark began to um, decompose. So they had to catch a new one and and re redo the sculpture. So you're at the point where even the art itself is not original, you know, like, like yeah. even the art itself is having to be like re-sharked from time to time. So what does that mean? What is a forgery? There, it, Basically, the concept doesn't really exist at this point in in art, but we still have obviously massive, massive penalties yeah. um, being bestowed upon people who forge, you know, earlier works of art. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I kind of I would love to hear Banksy's uh, point of view on forgeries. Is he is he for them, <laughs> against them? What does he think? Or he just doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, I will say that um, Banksy did release a director's cut of his video um, showing him uh, making the mechanism that shredded the painting. He does say that the auction house was not involved in it. Excellent. So then they were just really, really recouping and, and, and they were thinking on their feet very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, do you think that the auction house looked at it instantly if they're, you know, they're not in on it and they, I mean, they had to have just seen the opportunity right away. These aren't, these aren't dumb people, right? You don't have any other choice, right? Right. Oh well, yeah. It's, <laughs> it kind of got to go with it's it. It's going through a shredder. <laughs> well, I think that's what he means when he says we've been banksied. <laughs> yeah. What else can you do when you've been banksied except to acknowledge that you've been banksied and, and, Go and roll with it, you know? Yeah, did did they refund the, the person who purchased the painting? I'm sure not, right? How does that, well, I'm how sure that work? The, the person who I'm sure the person who purchased the painting was enthralled and delighted, you know? <laughs> but how weird is that? <laughs> I, I'm so I'm like my head hurts right. thinking so, talking about so it. So who owns it at that point? You know, you just you just win the, the bid. Are are you the official owner at that point once the gavel goes down? Yeah, I think so, right? I don't I'll, know. I mean, I think that you're the official owner, not only of the painting, but of the performance art around the painting, right? Because you paid for, you paid for the pay, for the print and you paid for the frame and the frame turned out to be a, a shredder that activated after you bought it. Um, but you bought that, you, you were buying that, you know, you were buying the, the, the risk that, that Banksy might've installed a shredder in your, <laughs> in your frame when you uh. bought the painting. Art is so complicated. Right. And, you know, when, when it was like this unintentional 
performance art. Not unintentional. I said that wrong. It was this like unexpected performance art, and you just drop 1.4 million, and then you're like, oh, I guess <laughs> it was performance art. Yeah, you have buyer's remorse. <laughs> Your gavel no. goes down. You have buyer's remorse for a second. You're for like, like a half a second. Was that worth it? And then all of a sudden, a minute later, you're more happy because it's, you're, the value just exploded. Right, because it's a performance right. art piece now. Yeah, you just doubled your money, maybe? I don't know. Do we know who oh, bought you it? You definitely doubled your money, I think. That's crazy. Do you know who bought it? Is there, Was there a name for the person who bought it? or are they? Uh... I don't think they've released the name of the person who bought it. I will That's okay. double check yeah. that. Um, but I do think, though, that it's kind of like there's an old Appalachian folktale that I quote a lot um, where the the, it's like this, the adage ends, um, it, it's a story about, a um, a girl who puts a snake in her pocket and then gets bitten. And right before the snake bites her, she, he's like, the snake is like, well, um, you knew I was a snake when you put me in your pocket, you know? <laughs> and I, I think that a lot about Banksy, like we, whoever bought this painting, they knew, they knew it was a snake when they put it in their pocket. It's a good one. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I like a good, uh, good metaphor. Good, um, <laughs> parable. Terrible. Yes. An aphorism. I like a good one of those. (laughs) Has something like this ever happened that's been comparable when someone's bought a piece of physical art and it turns into performance art or it self-destructs? There's nothing in memory that I can think of that this has happened around. No, I can't think of... I mean, I think that the only equivalent... I think would be when people in Central Park bought those paintings or bought those those prints, not realizing that they were Banksy prints. Sure, you know, yeah, yeah. And all essentially, all the people who walked by that day, you know, without sure. actually giving the, the 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 tent or the the um the stand a second glance, only to realize later that they walked past thousands of dollars worth of of priceless art, you know? But they're kind of part of the exhibit too, because it wouldn't have the significance it had if they hadn't walked yeah, past it, right? Right, exactly, exactly. And also, it wouldn't have had the significance they, that it had unless someone had realized that it was Banksy. You know, right. if if no one had actually stopped and gone, wait a minute, this looks like a Banksy print. Oh, good point. H- how many stunts has he pro- uh, pulled that, that we don't know were him? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. It's really tough to wrap your head around it because you only look at these things one way even if you don't have the money it takes to buy these prints. So you don't have $1.4 million Speak to buy Speak for yourself. True. I mean, we are wildly successful podcasters. but <laughs> <laughs> So it, it's hard to wrap your head around the, the, the fact that this, this, price or this, this very, very expensive piece of art is destroyed right in front of the buyer amongst millionaires as a show of protest against the commodification of the art and then that becomes more expensive and more valuable and was that the intent or was that like a did it backfire did he want it to totally get destroyed or i guess like did the result not matter just the fact that he could do that (laughs) was that one question i i think that all of these questions that you're asking are the questions that he wants you to ask um there's kind of a famous quote by an artist named Tracy Eamon, and the quote is something like, um, modern art is the means by which we terrorize ourselves. And okay. I, I think that's what you're doing right now. I think that, <laughs> um, I, I think that's what, it, what you're supposed to do. I think that, um, you know, the most famous modern art is also the, the kind of modern art that's the most infuriating on a level because it comments on itself and, it draws attention to the artifice of commercialization and the artifice of, of industrialization and um, mass processing and mass production and consumerism and all of these things that Banksy is doing. It's very, very, very self-aware um, and it's very good, you know, and it's, it's, it's meant to make you ask these questions and to have these sort of brain wrinkles and to, to get you to really rethink not only how art is produced, but, but, what that says about reality as a whole, you know? Okay, so is it fair to say that that Banksy maybe believes that if there's no kind of visceral reaction to art or some kind of emotion that comes with consuming that art that maybe it's not, uh, or, 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 or if those reactions do happen, then it's the ultimate artwork. Uh, it, I, I'm confused here. Help me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you want art to be? 
you know, do you want art to be uh, something that you can have an emotional reaction to? Do well, you want yeah. art to be a reflection of real life? Yes. Do you want art to be just a completely personal statement uh, from the artist that has nothing to do with you or anyone else? I don't know. <laughs> because I think um, depending on what you want art to be, that's going to that's going to um, to impact how you receive this artwork. Right. You know. Yeah, that's correct. And something like this, this this performance art. I think my gut keeps telling me it is a reflection of just how silly we can be sometimes that it's it's silly to look at something and put such a value on it when it can be quickly destroyed. But then but then I have this like thing where I'm like now I can't know thinking that I can't wrap my head around it being more valuable now. <laughs> right. Well, the 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 complexity of this is that Banksy isn't just doing stunts to do stunts. He his art is really wonderful. His art is beautiful and often his art has great, you know, social cultural meaning and value to the people who see it. Um and you know, he spent several decades being going from an artist who was basically dismissed and having his paintings always painted over and 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 you know, not really valued as legitimate art to being, you know, probably the most famous modern artist in the world. And that shift happened because we were able to, to stop thinking of his art as, as, you know, trollish punk art that was just part of, you know, uh, irreverent, not serious, delegitimized graffiti culture or whatever, and started seeing it as something that was serious and had serious things to say about, um, about art itself and about street art and about street art culture um, and many, many other things about politics, about life, <laughs> about Britain, um, and so on and so forth. So the idea behind what Banksy does often reflects um, the fact that our the, val the way that we value art is pretty much down to to changing shifts and attitudes over time and and changes in culture. Um, and changes in the way society as a whole views art. Um, the reason Banksy is able to draw attention to uh, the artifice in his own art by shredding his own painting is because uh, modern art culture has evolved this very, very, very lucrative process by which auction, you know, auctions uh, sell paintings for millions and millions of dollars, um, baby, basically based on hype, based on the branding of the artist, um, based on, you know, <laughs> these, these very, um, these very obscure and almost, um, fantastical economics by which, uh, modern art is valued, you know, mm -hmm. and it does seem very surreal and very, um, very silly and very shallow in a way. And I think that he wants us to be aware of that. I think he wants all of his art to draw attention to that. And I, I think that's also why he does spend still so much time doing street art and doing, um, he's still stenciling art on the side of buildings, you know, when he could be selling his art in galleries all over the world for millions of dollars without, you know, without having to do that. But I think the fact that he's still putting his art on walls and, and still going to the trouble of giving away paintings practically for free in Central Park um, tells you that he still wants his art to remain something that is seen as populist and something that is in touch with um, in touch with reality, basically, and is not just um, sort of consigned to these very high flung art dealers and art galleries all over the world. Yeah, he's no sellout, right? Or wait, or is he? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I do like the 2015 exhibit, uh, Dismaland, that uh, that he put up. It was sort of like an interactive exhibit, kind of like a like a take on Disneyland, as if it's been abandoned for like 50 years or 100 years. Or, or it, what a weird exhibit that is. <laughs> yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. It sounds like it was amazing. Um, but again, you have people. Uh, paying for the experience of walking through what is like a like a sludge theme park like it's like <laughs> toxic waste and and um just terrible sludge and and it's um and i think they had uh, attendees at the exhibits who were paid to be mean to you <laughs> and, 
Um, so again, he's obviously the people who are paying for this become part of the experiment because they're making his point that, that we'll pay for anything and we'll walk through anything and we'll be like, this is entertaining when it's clearly not entertaining, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Our art is worth what someone will pay for it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And in this case, he's also obviously commenting on the mass commercialization of Disney and, and the amount of power that Disney has over us to, to get us to shell out money for whatever Disney says we will, you know, it's going to give us. Yeah. Or wait in line for however long or, you know, like it's, it's sludge, right? So you're just trudging through this and it is something on the surface, but underneath it, you know, it is this like broken down, uh, like wasteland that, People are mean to you, and they still take your money that you still happily give them. Now, Disneyland, Lance, is the happiest place on Earth, so it's not like that. <laughs> yeah, it's very dystopian. It's very dystopian. You know, you're not allowed to say that the emperor has no clothes, right? It's right. that kind of thing. So, right. you know, by by walking through Dismaland, you're you're revealing the lie that Disneyland is just over-commercialized. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. actually, what, one weird thing about Disneyland, Disney World, they won't pronounce someone dead on the premises. I don't know if you've oh, you, yeah. you heard this. Yeah. yeah. If someone dies in Disneyland or Disney World, they will wait to pronounce the person dead uh, until the ambulance has left the premises because no one dies at the happiest place on Earth. That's really, yeah, I love that. That's from, I think, Enter the Mouse, which is this like behind the scenes book that talks about how horrible Disneyland is and and takes you into like all of the uh, um, the horror, the horrifying uh, work environments that all the Disneyland workers have to, to deal with. And it just sounds so horrifying. And and but the thing is that Disney can get away with it because they own half of my of, of Orlando at this point, you know, so um and they don't really have a lot of regulation. And I think that's another thing that he that he's calling attention to when he has these people who are you know being paid to be mean to you. Um, and there are just there are a lot of different aspects of this um, that I think Banksy is always aware of and calling attention to. Don't you think he had to be playing one of those surly uh, workers at one point, at least for one day? Like, uh, like, like you asked, don't you, do you think he was in the crowd watching, right. watching people look at his uh, art? Don't you think he had to have been one of the workers at, at one point just to observe what the heck was going on? I know if I was him, I would want to do that. I, I, That's the ultimate right. troll job, right? Right. I, you kind of, it's, it, it would be in the character, I think. Yeah. What do you or think? Or else he would have had surveillance cameras all over the place and observed them that way, which seems to be like a, a thing that Banksy would do. No, that's a good point. That could be that could be a higher level of what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. We've seen that tattoo of the girl, the balloon girl. We've that that took off, right? You've seen people with the tattoo of balloon girl. Sure. How long yes. before we're going to see the tattoo of half shredded balloon girl on people? <laughs> I mean, I imagine that the day that happened, somebody went out and was like this, I'm going to get a tattoo of this printer of this, this whole, this whole frame. I, I'm not sure how that would actually look on someone's arm or leg, but I think it would be fantastic. I'm thinking of doing it. Um, like as a sleeve on my right forearm. No, you're going to do it on your lower back. You're like, <laughs> yeah, you... I, just, I think I can get a cooler tattoo sleeve than Lance has. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I oh, think I'd like tough. to see that. I think it'd be good. I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see the, the tattoo artist's reaction, though, when you ask for it. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll live uh, podcast from, from that uh, yeah. if that ever happens. A tattoo artist uh, tattooing shredded artwork that, <laughs> that was purchased. Uh, I'm, I'm confused. It's I'm getting, confusing it's myself. It's a spider web in my head it's right It's a paradox. Now. There was, a, I think, a concerted effort when he, um, when he did the surveillance uh, video stunt that was pretty amazing and that got a lot of attention when um, basically he um, what he did was he put art next to a wall of a bank of surveillance cameras on a wall in Britain um, and the art was basically turning the cameras into part of the artwork and this way it was really ingenious um, but also was calling attention to the art and I think that was probably the first time I really went oh Banksy really has stuff to say he's not just a, a really talented um, street artist. But I think Exit Through the, the Gift Shop was probably the documentary that that actually got a lot of critical acclaim. I think it was nominated for a lot of awards. Um, and that, I think, put him in the consciousness of a lot of people. So, Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, exactly. 
I, I first really became aware of him at in Park City that day. I, I mean, I had kind of heard of him a little bit, but uh, wasn't something I was really too uh, really taken by or something that took up a lot of my uh, brain space at that time. I did think it was, you know, the the whole experience of seeing a crowd gathered for that purpose was sort of eye-opening, but also confusing, And as I'm uh, extremely confused today. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I didn't expect this conversation to confuse me so much. <laughs> yeah. What is art? What is value? What is, what is Banksy doing? I mean, this is great. This is great. You know, I'm so glad Banksy is, a, uh, is an artist on the scene today. I'm so glad that we're living through this era. So we talk about, you know, some of the some of the classic, the masters, right? We talk about Rembrandt and Vermeer and Degas. Uh, what do you think they would think of this? And how does Banksy compare to these masters? I think that they'd be into it. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at the way that uh, art movements of the past have always been in reaction to each other, you know, you look back, especially modern art, modern art movements, you know, post-impressionism was a reaction to impressionism, which was a reaction to romanticism. Um, which was reaction to uh, realism, like, like all of these different things, like um, artists are always in conversation with one another um, and in conversation with art history to a large degree. Um, And I think to a very, the more, the more we go on, the more art develops and evolves, the more self-aware art gets, because how can it not, you know? Um, And I think that all of those old masters and so forth, I think that they would be aware of that. Because I think in their in their own ways, each of them were also reacting both to uh, art as a conversation and reacting to the culture that they were in, you know? Yeah, I agree. In, and I think also artists have always been, uh, we've always had great trolls among us in the art world. You know, we've had um, like <laughs> all of those artists who who were were obviously queer, but who were forbidden to, uh, to paint um obviously were forbid, forbidden to paint uh, homoerotic images. So they turned St. Sebastian into like the great, the great homoerotic uh, coded symbol for gay men throughout their, by painting him through in these very, very phallic ways throughout the years. And I think that while doing it with the express permission and authority of the church, right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so there've always been these ways in which, in which artists have trolled the establishment, I think. And I think it's important to be aware of that and to recognize that Banksy knows that, and he's doing that partly to, to fit himself in this tradition. That did a lot to clear up the confusion in my head. I really did. It kind of so, did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a conscious evolution. Like I think Banksy right. is a conscious evolution of art. And I think you're oh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're right. And Lance and Asia that, uh, that these old masters, Vermeer's Rembrandt's, they couldn't have been old masters if they didn't understand that art evolves. And it will evolve beyond them. Yeah. As long as they continue. And they're a product of everything that came before them. And it's probably all for the best that some of their most famous artworks get stolen. Well, I, I think it's interesting that Banksy's street art can't be stolen, right? And then he's kind of, again, having the last laugh. Okay, okay. We can, we can, yeah, riff on that for a little while. I mean, you could take each brick out and then reassemble it, I suppose, if, if, if he did it on a brick wall. But you also have people, I mean, you also have other street artists who will vandalize him and will will graffiti over his paintings. So in a way, they're having the last laugh. You know, not always. But, <laughs> but I feel like that might not anger Banksy. <laughs> Do you know? Like, uh, like is right. it, isn't that also a win? It still is a win because yeah. it's still a, 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 a damaged Banksy. Yeah. His name is still there and it's still showing something about the culture in which he's sort of protesting against. Well, he got that amount of anger out of the exactly. person who who uh, ruins the, you know, or I vandalizes. I also wonder if it's about right. the the other artist wanting to have a piece of that, you know, wanting to to have a to have a sliver of the Banksy fame. So by and graffitiing over that or or around it or near it allows them to do that. Um That's interesting. I yeah. think it's it is really interesting. There was a actually, and, and Banksy, obviously, I don't know how many people would, would think about Banksy in these terms, but he's not above having just like your, your classic traditional street war. Like he had a, um, an ongoing feud with another street artist in, in London and they would just sort of, they would constantly graffiti over each other's paintings and, or like riff on each other's paintings and like, um, try and turn one another's street art murals into something different. Um, 
And it finally ended, I think, after the other artist died, I think in around 2008 or so. And Banksy wound up like sort of drawing like a tribute art um, on top of like one of the, the spaces that, that they had been vandalizing <laughs> each other's art over for years. Um, and I thought that was really neat because it's, it's both it, like it's so petty on one level and it's all it's it's very localized and very like, you know, it's all in the family type of thing. But on another level, it's all about you know, art as a conversation and art as war and art and yeah. art as, you know, me versus you and, and, and what that says about us as individuals. Yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of like, like two celebrities on Twitter kind of going at it uh, <laughs> against each other because it ultimately gets both of them more followers. Yeah. And it's, uh, remember when we saw the, uh, the, the Dutch masters sure. in, in DC uh-huh. and it's all like, it's all these Vermeer inspired artists or influenced artists. And it's all around the same time period. And we were looking at it and we we're like, well, how many times can you paint a maid looking out a window? And, but each one of them had, had a different take on it. And it's like, this guy saw Vermeer's and, and said, well, man, her, her head's turned to the left. So I'm going to do this, but she's going to be holding a book and the guy at the desk is going to have a quill pen instead of, you know, uh, like a, a dog by his side or something. But there's like really not much difference when you're looking at all those paintings in that, in that exhibit. Um, but there were like 20 or 30 people surrounding one Vermeer and like exactly. two or three around the one next to him who wasn't a Vermeer. Yep, exactly. And then the Vermeer shredded. I'm back to <laughs> I'm back to being confused. I'm back to being confused again. <laughs> well, Damn so you, it, I think it's it's interesting. To, I I tend to think of that type of of I guess not really transformation derivation. There's a whole um, conversation in copyright copyright about whether works are derivative or transformative. Um, and fan fiction basically operates under the fair use clause because people say that fanfics are transformative. They're not derivative, which, which means they're not exact car- copies of the thing that you started out with. You know, the idea of a fanfic is always to transform the original source material in some way. And I think we see that throughout art history. Actually, we see artists uh, attempting to transform the the work that came before them over and over again. Um, and a lot of times, um, especially when we talk about modern art. Um, trying to parse the difference between a meme or a forgery or a work by Richard Prince that's selling for millions of dollars in a gallery somewhere. Um, and the only difference is context, you know, like the only difference between uh, between me going on Photoshop and making a duplicate copy of this thing that then winds up in a Richard Prince gallery um, is that Richard Prince is saying, this is, ha- this has meaning. And my, my taking this previously, um, existing work of art or piece of media and turning it into um, this thing that I've stuck on my wall and now I'm selling for millions of dollars is that I say it means this. And because I'm Richard Prince, I can do that. But really there's not that much difference. And I think this is where you get into the idea of derivation versus transformation. You know, what makes something transformative, you know, in which it, it gains new value from being reified or as opposed to, derivative where it's just a repeat of the original there's nothing new there oh so now it's starting to make sense again in my head (laughs) please explain it to me so the so balloon girl that was destroyed was a reprint correct Mm -hmm. so there you go he's taken a reprint and he's destroyed it so the reprint is essentially um a derivative right Mm mm-hmm but he's he's transforming the entire movement by destroying the derivative perhaps even making the derivative more um, expensive than the original. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. (laughs) In its, in its transformation. I'm confused again, (laughs) but I, I, but I, it's such a, it's, it's great. Uh, It's a great thing to think about that. We just kind of talked ourselves into, into this unintentionally. You said, after I said, about paintings being stolen you said no one can really steal his and unless it's like you do a brick by brick but you kind of do by making a a reprint of it so he can steal his own and then he can he but and then he can transform not not only steal his own but he can transform what it represents by by destroying it Mm -hmm. wow still there this is heavy (laughs) i love it i love it i love thinking about this stuff i do it a lot so yeah it's uh it's something that makes me happy because i think that these conversations obviously directly impact, you know, things on the internet and they impact 
how we think about pop culture and how we think about lowbrow and highbrow culture, right? Like what, what's the divide there? Is there a divide? Um, and I think that those questions are, are where Banksy lives. That's great. He did the same with uh, Dismaland too, right? Because Disneyland is just this plastic version of what's not real, what you want to be real. And also Disneyland is highly litigious and prone to suing everybody around them for copyright infringement. Um, and obviously this was something that they couldn't, they couldn't sue for copyright infringement for, even though it was obviously ripping off Disneyland right. and everything about it was, was a riff because it's transformative and it's basically using the original source material to, to, to create new social commentary, to create new, um, ideas about the original in ways that hopefully elevate the conversation. So here's what I think we should do. We should go back to all of our original audio files from all of our shows and just jumble them all up and then just put them back out there for the for the public to consume and just be like, it's performance art. I think you might have a little more work to do to make it performance art. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> well played. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any last uh, words about Banksy? No. Watch Exit Through the Gift Shop if you haven't seen it. It's really fantastic. And it's... Uh, it's trolling you as you watch it and it's trolling everybody and it's great. 